proceeding from the great commission given by Jesus to make disciples of all nations, the early church exploded and countless souls were made new by the atoning work of Christ. Dead hearts were made alive and churches sprouted up throughout the world. As a need for clear and concise biblical interpretation arose, the Reformed Confessions of the Faith were written and still have a major impact on the church today. The Confessional Collective desires to see healthy, theologically sound churches planted and on mission for the Kingdom of Christ. Welcome to the Confessional Collective. Welcome to the Confessional Collective, where truth meets mission. Uh, today we have a very special guest with us. Uh, Chris, as always, is my partner in crime. He will be here and is on online with us. But we also have Sharon Dickens, who is part of 20 Schemes, and she is all the way from Scotland, visiting us here in Trenton, Michigan. And so, Sharon, how are you? I'm fine, thank you. And obviously, someone's going to have to interpret because of the accent, right? I've been working on my American accent. Can you not tell? I can tell. I can tell. (laughs) And Chris just laughs because nobody understands people from California. No. Not even the Californians. Not even the Californians. Even if they understand the words we're saying, they're like, that doesn't make any sense. So (laughs) (laughs) just all gnarly, dude. Right. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, So, Sharon, I want to spend time today talking specifically about 20 schemes. And then the unique aspect of church ministry that we want to highlight is women's ministry, which is what you're involved in. Mm -hmm. And your story is a little bit unique because being involved in 20 schemes and with Mez McConnell there, um, you were actually brought on staff to work with women at the church. And that's unique for a church plant, because when a church plant is thinking about hiring staff members for one of the early members to be brought on and supported for it to be um, a woman in a complementarian kind of environment, and then on top of that, the um, the specific need that was uh, there. So there's a lot to talk about. I don't want to unpack all that in my introduction, but why don't we start with just describing what 20 schemes is. Even the word scheme is unique okay. to us Americans. So 20 schemes is the um, church planting ministry of my church, Nidra Community Church. And so at the moment we are planting in um, seven schemes in Scotland um, so a scheme is um, a deprived area. It would be somewhere that was um, very similar to, um, maybe a, Mez has described it before, so I don't know how effective this is, but he's, he's described it as a, a reservation because they're very old. Some of them are more than 200 years old and have the same families that have been living there for three, four, five generations. Um, they're very much like um, the, the projects because they are... Um, there's there's violence and drugs and all the issues that go along with that, with, with welfare and poverty. Um, so they would be um, probably a third generation um, issues with drugs. So grandma's the, the, the dealer and she would send um, her granddaughter out to, to, to deliver the drugs, to send the messages, we would call it. And then they would be um, a bit like a trailer park in a sense that up until about five years ago, they predominantly would have been um, white. They, we wouldn't have had any diversity at all. Um, maybe about 5%, although in the last five years that has greatly changed. So now we would see about 28, 25 to about 28% um, 
who would be um, a real mix of different cultures, um, Eastern European, African, Brazilian, bit of everything wow. coming into schemes. And, and so as you look at these schemes and the, the ministry there, the, the, the way you just described it is grandma is the dealer and then her daughter or granddaughter is the deliverer of the messages. Um, and you specifically zeroed in on the women. Now, when I think of drug dealers, what naturally comes to my mind is the men, and you're, right. and you're able to describe it in a way that I just can't imagine grandma dealing. But I guess that's my suburbanite mindset. Right, Chris? Yeah, it, it definitely breaks the mold of what uh, I think we typically see here uh, within our community as well. Uh, that's usually not the way that you think about it, although I have been hearing more and more cases of that sort of thing. So it really interests me to, to hear this from this perspective and also to hear just from uh, your typical, uh, well, myself being, uh, you know, I guess you might say your typical American, uh, being a little isolated from understanding the situations that are going on in communities uh, around the world and other countries uh, to hear the kind of situation that there is there and to hear the, how that compares to what we experience here in the States. For sure. So Sharon, let's, let's dive in a little bit deeper into that. 20 Schemes is a, is a, is a ministry of church planting, and you are now actually working for 20 Schemes. Yeah, I am. But initially, it was the church that you began to work um, as a staff member because of the need of reaching the women in those schemes. Yeah. So originally I was, um, I would have been employed by our, our congregation, Nidra Community Church, to uh, be their women's worker. And um, that would have been probably about for five years before 20 Schemes was launched. Um, so I would have been the, the, the woman who, I would have worked with the community. I would have spent time with our congregation. Um, I would have been the one who... Um, along with Miriam McConnell, developed the, the training and trained our women and got alongside and discipled, yeah. And, and Miriam is uh, Mez's, Mez's wife. wife. So yeah. she, she also works for 20 Schemes and uh, works with me doing w women's ministry with 20 Schemes. Okay. And when, when you, I guess to kind of give a little bit of background of your own story, um, why don't you share how you came to faith and eventually how you felt led that this was something God was calling you to? So I um, was saved a very long time ago, because I'm very old. Um, I was saved in a, in a scheme in Edinburgh, which is um, about six miles from Nidre, where I, I live now. It was a very different scheme. Um, it was much more working class. Uh, we had a working port, so we had a lot of um, traffic going, th going through our, our, our scheme um, because the boats bring everything that sailors bring, prostitution. And we had the same as everybody else, some drugs, um, crime. Um, the thing with um, all schemes is they have um, some hard some hard stuff like drugs and, and crime, but actually there's a lot of really good stuff in there as well. So and my, my community would have been very close-knit. Um, when you move in a house, they call in a friend to put up your doors and help you move. They're very close-knit and, 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 and do care about each other. So my scheme, um, not churched, none of my family are churched. Um, I occasionally went to a, a church when I was a kid, but I spent a long time um, being around Christians and never hearing the gospel. So I was um, 17 before somebody told me um, about Jesus and the fact that I needed to repent. And I had no issue dealing with the fact that I was a sinner. 
Um, I knew exactly what I was up to, but I could not get my head around the the the, the fact that Jesus loved me. That was um, beyond understanding. And um, so we, I was saved in a in another scheme of Edinburgh that had a mission hall that was a church plant of an organisation called Edinburgh City Mission. Um, so I was, I, I didn't know the beginning of the Bible or the end. I couldn't understand what chapters were or verses, but they had a internship program. And so six months after being saved, I gave up my job. Um, I was an architectural technician and I lived by faith and um, took part in their internship program. And they placed me in Nidri. So Nidri was my placement. So I was... 1819 um, in, in Old Nidri when it was rough and so that was my first introduction and then I did stuff with life, I um, worked for other organisations and then eventually when we um, came back to Edinburgh I went back to Nidri and worshipped. So I've been there about 15 years now as a church member, um, four, four or five years before Mez and Miriam came, came on um, and Mez became our pastor. Um, so I've been there a long time. And I, I guess, Chris, one of the things we could we really could probe into here is this calling that you felt at moving into um, in, into working in women's ministry. I, I didn't want to speak for Chris because I know your church experience has been different than mine. But women's ministry is something I think churches give a lot of lip service to. But mm-hmm. is it fair to say, from your experience too, Chris, that we probably don't do it very well? Yeah, I would agree with that assessment. Um, I think especially within complementarian circles uh, that sometimes women's ministry is something that is a little neglected or even assumed. And especially when it comes to like, you know, real actual ministry, um, you know, not just, you know, kind of get togethers and fellowships and that kind of thing, but actually really ministering the word of God into the the hearts and minds of women in our congregations. Yeah. So Sharon, work that out a little bit for us about that, those initial days when this was talked about and because I know Mez has elders. He's not just a, a, mm. a bishop. <laughs> he doesn't get to do whatever he just wants. Mm. You have a congregation. You, you, how did all of that come about? And then what did it begin to look like as you guys kind of began to walk through those early doors? Um, I suppose the first thing to... Um, so when I was a very young Christian, um, people told me really unhelpful things. Um, and I had this um, amazing older woman who um, I would go and tell all this rubbish that people had been telling me and she would take me to the Bible and show me what, what, um, what God said. Now, that, that's, that's discipleship. Um, she mm-hmm. helped me separate out what was uh, unhelpful and what was, was good and I should be taken hold of. And so, in a sense, that's exactly what women's ministry is. We, in, in our context, we're either, um, as women, we either speak fluff into each other's life, things that are really unhelpful, uh, we say what um, we think someone wants to hear, or we've got great theology, but we never apply it to our lives. Um, and so women's ministry, um, for me, is is really just women, tightest to in teaching women how to be godly women. And so when Mez came in and um, said to me, um, I, I think that you should think about women's ministry and how, how you do that well. Um, if I'm being honest, I was quite overwhelmed by the, the thought because I, I didn't know how to do it well. 
Um, what I did know was what the need was. So we needed to get good resources, good training, good discipleship, good care into each other's lives so that we not only were reading the Bible, and but we were actually applying it to our lives. We were showing each other how to be godly women and pointing each other to Christ. So what that looked like was the, the elders um, allowed me to um, come up with a list of women that I thought would be potentially good for women's ministry, and there was eight. Um, they weren't the obvious ones. Um, some of them were really quite obscure, but I'd been paying attention, and these women had shown a, a had had shown that they had the beginning of a gift. There was something there, and and our elders were great. They um, they prayed over and um, the list, and we talked about it, and then they they agreed that these these women would be the the eight that that I, that I, that I focused on and trained. Um, they sanctioned it from the front, which um, is probably the most significant thing I think our elders did, because what they did was they gave us. They it was like they were saying to our, our congregation that 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 we had their okay, that, that that they put their authority on this, and then everything that we created from there, the structures, um, the the programs that you use, the book lists, everything, um, the the elders approve, and, the, and we are the outpouring of it. So we. Um, I pre we would take our plans, my um, my uh, structure, the the training that I was going to use, and um, I, we had an elder that looked at it, that he made sure that everything that we were doing was fine, um, and he uh, they, they they would direct what we did with it. So they they were very, I mean, really helpful. Um, the way that it's structured is really easy. That I would go in the beginning. Um, we have a different women's worker now, Heather, but in the beginning I would go to the the elders meeting um, once a month. Um, I would share any concerns that that we had about women, and we would listen to the the advice that the elders had. That they they would pray for us, um, and they would direct us in what they wanted us to do. There was times where um, they maybe wanted us to intercede because they obviously knew far more about the congregation than we did, and so we would again they would ask us to 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 go and see someone about a specific subject, and so they would send us Miriam and I um, to maybe intervene with a woman and speak to her before. Um, they spoke to them directly. When I was um, recently, when my one of my professors, Michael Kruger, um, tweeted that churches need to consider hiring a woman on staff. Yeah. And here, Mezzan, in a lot of ways, is ahead of that curve. And I know that when you and I spoke off of Mike, you, you mentioned that there was a real need for that because of the safety for the safety of the ministers themselves as well as the safety of yeah. the women that they were ministering to, but also just the uniqueness of the need and the way in which um, another woman could minister to the women on that scheme. Mm. Let's talk a little bit more now looking into how you guys actually do this ministry. What does it look like when you take a woman um, from the scheme and gradually build a relationship and bring them into the church and then disciple them? And I, and I know you've shared some some real tension there between the church women mm. and the and the women from the scheme. And so I, I want you to share all that as well. Um, I mean, you're talking 10 years, so it's a very big difference. I mean, what we have today um, is very different to um, what we had in the beginning. So what we have today is a congregation of um, 8 to 84, um, 120, 130 on a Sunday morning. And we have um, a real mix of women who are from our community and women who are um, originally from the, the church congregation. And they they are friends, they do life together. 
Um, they do. They they have accountability partners with each other. They hang out. They're. I mean, it's it's natural now, but we didn't get there. Um, we didn't get there instantly. It was a long process. So in the beginning, we had what felt like two very different mission fields. So we would have a, a community that. Um, Sometimes we had maybe more than 200, 400 contacts that we were spending time with regularly. Meeting people wasn't hard. Um, we, we have a community cafe. People would come through our doors, but meeting people wasn't hard. Striking up relationships wasn't hard. Um, what was difficult was getting the church community and the the um, the scheme community to, to spend time with each other. So when we started doing women's ministry, we would be making contacts with uh, ladies in our community and we would maybe bring them to a social event and um, they, they wouldn't talk to each other. Um, we, we even had an over 50s club where um, we had 12 women, six from the community and six from our church, and they would sit at different ends of the room. Um, and one day I was so frustrated, I got the chairs and put them all together. And they came in and moved the chairs apart. Um, and it wasn't that one was more horrible than the other. The church women weren't being um, awful, looking down on, on them. And the scheme women weren't being, like, really offensive. They were just two very diverse cultures, so different that they didn't know how to interact. And so both were scared of each other, but for very different reasons. Um, all the, the community women thought that the church women would be looking down on them and judge them, and all the church women would look at the community women thinking that they were looking down on them and would judge <laughs> them. Um, so it took a very long time um, and a lot of prayer. I mean, four years before they looked like one group um, and where it was natural, where you would have someone from the, the scheme from Nidri hanging out with... Um, one of the old saints that had been coming to our church for for a long time mm -hmm. and actually really getting on with each other. Now, when, when when that relationship happens and the person starts to come to the church, what are some of the things that you begin to, to work with that individual on or that in, in the process you take them through classes and things? So if um, it, it depends on if they're professing faith or not. Um, so sometimes people who have been hanging out with us will come to church because they, they like hanging out with Christians. Um, there's benefits to hanging out with Christians. We eat a lot of good food and we have fun. We do yeah. love to eat. Amen. Yeah, we do eat a lot. So, I mean, the, and it's a good place to be. They, they, they spend time with a group of people that actually genuinely seem to like each other. Um, so they, they like that. Um, so we wouldn't do, we would maybe do a evangelistic Bible study if they wanted to. Um, we would maybe look at a Bible overview, but we would be very, um, very, very intentional about everything that we did that was that was gospel orientated. Now, if they professed faith, that's a different story. Um, we have a responsibility to make sure that they are discipled and grow into um, godly women. So we would um, we would have one-on-one -on -one relationships where we would have accountability questions. They're very invasive. Um, they they ask all sorts from. Um, have they been in a compromising situation with someone from the opposite sex? Um, even to, to small things about like what kind of stuff that have they been watching on TV that's unhelpful. Um, so there's the, we have a, a set standard 17 questions that we go through every woman. Uh, it doesn't matter what side of the block they come from. Um, we would be very intentional in, in their lives. So um, we would do life on life, hang out. 
uh, take every opportunity not only to teach the the Bible in the sense that we would sit down and do a Bible study them, but teach them what it looks like to be a godly woman when like the traffic's going crazy and your kids are screaming holy murder and like the washing machine's broken. How do you deal with the trials of life um, in a godly and a right way? So we would we would do that. And we also have a, a discipleship program. So in the early days, we would do all our discipleship one-on-one. But um, praise the Lord, too many got people got saved and we... Good problem Didn't, to have. It is a good problem yeah. to have. Um, it's messy, but it's a good problem to have. But there was two men. So we we have a class. So we have a foundation class that um, can take about a year. So every day of the week, um, except for Monday, they can come in and do a, an hour long class. So they meet for prayer at nine o'clock, um, ten o'clock they do class, and it's really simple foundational stuff. So it's people who don't know anything about the Bible. And they follow through our pathway to service. So looking at things like, what is an elder? What, why why do we have elders? What are they there for? How do I study the Bible? Um, how do I know that the Bible is actually true? What's communion? How does that work? And so they ask all those questions. What does service look like? Why do I have to give a tithe? Um, so we look through all those things, and then once they've they, they've progressed, and we would, we would look at something a bit more a bit more meaty. So we have a we're, we're really inventive with names. Like, so our IDC is it's an intense discipleship certificate. It's so I know we're rubbish at names. And so the next steps an advanced IDC advanced. Um, and so it would look at systematic it would be systematic theology, it would look at New Testament, Old Testament, church history, practical theology, and ecclesiology. So they're not it's it's not, not meaty stuff. It's just delivered in a different way. So we that happens every every day, every week in our church. Um, every morning for the foundations, Wednesday afternoon for, for the advanced. So when somebody makes it through these classes, at what point are they responsible to start pouring into other people? I mean, Titus 2 is pretty clear. Older women speaking into a younger woman's life. So um, the reality is there's always someone that is um, a younger Christian than the girls that we're spending time with. So I would be very intentional with um, my women and, and say right from the very start, I'm going to invest in your life, but I expect you to be investing in someone else's. They've got friends and family who they will be witnessing to who might want to do an evangelistic Bible study. Now, they don't have all the answers. They're just new believers, but they have somebody to go back to. Hmm. Um, so we teach... Um, them to do to the, the framework we show them by doing and then encourage them to do do so also so what we see is we see particularly with women I mean their friends and their families start to get saved hmm. now in these classes that they take and and that they're being um, being taught in who's doing the teaching so we have a, a policy at Nidri Community Church um, and the um, women don't teach in mixed setting and um, so we would have a mixed group who are our learners and so one of our planters or our pastors um, or our elders would be the one that teaches teaches our, our curriculum the, the ones that are mixed yeah so but, i would be allowed to teach but i would only specifically be allowed to teach uh, about what ministry women's ministry is like very much what we're doing today okay okay and I love what I'm hearing here in all of this, because you just mentioned Titus, too. And I was thinking about that a minute ago. 
uh, and you know that the older women are to teach the younger. And what I'm hearing in the in the structure and all this, you know, Aaron and I just talked about eldership last week. And we were looking at there in Titus about the uh, instructions for elders. There's also instructions for young men. And there's there's all these instructions for kind of different uh, areas of the different people in the life of the body of the church. And what I'm hearing here and what I love about this is that when each one of these uh, various parts of the body is doing what God has instructed and called them to do, that like Ephesians 4 says, the body builds itself up in love. And so it's really great to kind of hear about this particular aspect, having just talked about uh, something else that Titus gives instruction about, uh, now to hear this particular thing and hear how that is serving the greater life and ministry of the church. Amen. One of the things I think that that I really want to dive into now as we've kind of looked at your ministry as a whole is I know, um, again, one of the things that we were talking about off mic was the the reality you said here, there is all these great theological institutions here in the States, and women are taking these classes. But one of the observations you made, which is a blind spot for, I think, us in the States is, but there's no jobs for them. So they take all this and they get all this training, but these complementarian churches, there's no, there's no job. So unless they're going to work in a parachurch organization... There's or, or maybe going to counseling or something mm-hmm. like that. There, there's nothing open. And as you said that, my you know the light bulb went on. I went, oh wow, yeah, it's so true. But how do we how do we do this well? Because on one level, as complementarians, we we see that God has clearly ordered the structure as mm-hmm. as, right. as you just talked about in in Titus two. But at the same time, I think we're missing something that's essential and we're finally just starting to catch up and even like i said my the, the president of rts charlotte uh, tweets that hey you know you need to be considering one of your staff people being a woman on on staff at your church you've been doing this for 10 years mm-hmm. 15 years and um and we're just catching up here in the states so speak to us a little bit just for where you see are some of our blind spots especially as church planners yeah and you know even to just jump on that real quick. You know, a lot of these women who are taking these classes and going through, uh, you know, uh, really a, a seminary type education, uh, they are complementarian women. Um, they're not looking to become mm-hmm. elders or pastors, uh, but yet there is a role for them. And uh, like, that's what we're getting at here. Uh, and there should be opportunity for them to still serve in a staff capacity. So, uh, so yeah, I'd like to hear what you have to say about that as well. Um, so you're right. So you train all these women and the, I don't mean this to sound hard, um, but the jobs that are open are secretaries and counselors and they can do so much more. Also, mm-hmm. I, th- I think are far more effective um, to be used um, by your congregation. I mean, Ligon Duncan um, wrote the book Women's Ministry and in it he has this, I'm going to paraphrase because I've not got the book with me, but it basically says that because of the mistakes of the past, that when it comes to this subject in our context, in a, in a complementarian context, we are so afraid to do it wrong, we just don't do it at all. Wow. Right. So, I mean, that's my version of what he's saying. But it's a good book. And I think that's the reality. I think the, 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 the trouble is that there are, there are, I mean, especially in America, you guys are 
training hundreds and hundreds of women that, that have no avenue for service. So you're equipping and preparing them for ministry and not using them. And, and, and I think that is a travesty. Um, and it's exactly the opposite in the UK. So we 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 don't have that there are seminaries who are starting to to focus on this type of to women's ministry, but not to the, the extent that you guys have already thought it through. Um and, and that's what I think it's in some cases it's just absolute fear that you don't know how to do it well, so let's not do it at all. Right. Um and even if you look at your congregations, so in in uh, average congregation in the, the UK, it's something like one to six, one to five. There'll be six, five women for every one guy. Um, I don't know what like it is in the state, but even if it is 50-50 in the US, then I would suggest half of your congregation um, could be cared for much better by a really good, well-thought-through ministry care plan for them. Amen to that. Yeah. You know, as, as you're saying this, I mean... There's a conviction being written all over me as a pastor of a church, but we're a church that plants other churches, and I know this has not been part of a normal, regular routine of our discussion. You joined our cohort today and shared a little bit about the ministry um, that you're doing there in Scotland, and you're, tonight you're going to be meeting with uh, the, the, a lot of the church planners' wives, and I'm hoping that this really begins to catch fire here. Where you're at took you time to get to. Yeah. A long time. And, and I know that our tendency is we want to run ahead and we want mm. to have what you already have, but it took time. What are some of the hurdles that we need to be careful of and and maybe some of the things we shouldn't avoid that we're going to have a tendency to avoid in developing and working through these things? So, I mean, I, I think that you shouldn't be afraid to have the hard discussions. So um, one of the, the hard discussions for our congregation is how, how can women actually serve? So we've just as a congregation discussed women deacons, well, we talk, discussed deacons, and as a, de, as a debate, as a membership, we walked through the passage of well, how can women serve? Are they supposed to be deacons? Um, what are, our, our elders have a, um, a policy on how women are to serve in our, in our church, and it's not palatable for everybody. Um, but it's biblical, and it's, it's, it's one of the hard conversations. So it works out what the framework is f to enable us to serve. So not only did they think it through, but then they also planned to equip us. Um, and so they invested in us. They invested in training. They, they helped us to develop training. They gave us resources. And the other thing that they do that I think is probably one of the most important things is our elders trust us to get on and do our job. So we know... Um, we have a structure and a framework of when we're supposed to go back to them, but they, they don't check in every five minutes or want to know every single woman's conversation. They trust us as women to care f to do our job well. And um, and that that's a massive thing. They they um, they, they know as a, a, a care team the the benchmark that the, that we're going to be serving from. Uh, they know us as women and they, they trust us to get on with it. Um, and we do that within the, the framework where we are, we submit to their authority, where we um, we don't undermine the position that they have in the church, and that we're always in a set, 
in everything that we do, not in not just in the the women's ministry, but the way we live our lives, the way our like Miriam lives as, as a wife, making sure that we we example that in, in in all senses. So I think the 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 first place to start would be the hard conversation nobody wants to have. Yeah, it is difficult to do it in a complementarian context, but it's not it's not like you can't do it. And until you start having the discussion, you don't know where the problems are going to be. Um, I would suggest people just stop avoiding it and and start talking about it. And then cross the hurdles when they come. Instead of imagining what they're going to be like and filling that, that us with dread so that we don't do anything at all. You mentioned a book earlier by Lincoln Duncan. Yeah. Oh, what was the name of that one? It's called Women's Ministry in the Church, I think. Okay. Um, there's lots out there. That's what I was going to yeah. ask you is what are some resources that you would point um, those who are considering, hey, I'm going to be planting a church in, in a few years, and I haven't even thought about women's yeah. ministry. What are books that are resources that you um, There's There's lots of really good stuff out there. Gloria Furman does a really good, um, it's called Women of the Word, I think, and she looks at women's ministry, but what she does is she finds several women that are all doing this in different contexts, and they all talk about a, a specific topic. So if you're going to um, I'll find the exact details and I'll share that so that you can share that with people properly. If you were buying one book, I would buy that. Um, it's not a detailed practical guide because I haven't found one out there. Um, Does that mean you're going to write one for oh, us? I hope so. I would really hope so. We spend such a long time talking about theory, nobody ever tells anybody how to do it, huh. um, which is what frustrates me. So there is lots of books out there about women's ministry, but what you talk about is the theology and what we can't do. Um, you never, nobody spends time talking about the 95% of the stuff that we should be getting on and doing well. Yeah. Um, but Gloria Furman book's excellent. It looks at accountability and some of the struggles that people have found in doing discipleship. Um, it's different women's perspectives, which is really helpful. It makes you think. So as a starting book, I would start there. I know somebody had handled me, and I'm reading right now, Amy Bird's No Little Women. And I don't know if you're familiar, familiar with that one. I think one. it's on my stack, and I've not got okay. into it yet. But it's it's interesting to me that this is a topic that just keeps coming at me. And then the opportunity to have you here, I know you're in the States for other reasons, but I wanted to make sure that we had the opportunity for you to come and be with our maybe church playing wives. Maybe God's telling you something. Yeah, maybe God's telling us something. Yeah. Uh, hopefully he's telling Chris too. He's yeah, not just telling to, me. You need to employ some women. Yeah. But I, I'm just, I'm really blown away by what I see is this is an important topic, one that we just can't keep our he head in the sand. And I understand everybody's fears, right, Chris? I mean, if you're a complementarian church, where, where are you going, you know, with this? What, what's, where's the, where are the parameters? How, how, how much are you going to let happen? And I think that's a lot of what Amy Bird described on her podcast, The Mortification of Spin, is that, you know, in the writing of that book, she's taken some, um, some pushback because of her views in her denomination. And I think it is something, though, that you said it. They're hard conversations, but they're necessary conversations. Yeah, absolutely. Because, because some, you know, uh, at least 50%, if not more, of your congregation and in, in, in most of these church plants and even church revitalization are being missed because we're not doing women's ministry well. And the scary thing is that these women in your congregation are struggling with really big things and no one is helping them. So we have this preconceived idea that women don't struggle with the same issues as men do. And it's lies. We do. We struggle with all the same things. Sexual sin, idolatry. The, the difference is that there's no one getting alongside them, helping them walk through that. Uh -huh. And that's not good. 
That's not how we should be taking care of the women in a congregation. Yeah, the, the big issues that women deal with, just like men, also just like men, require a big gospel and, and good theological teaching to address and to be applied, uh, that they would overcome those things as well. Uh, I love, love what I'm hearing. And I think one of the challenges that we face in ministry is that so often as we confront error, the, the temptation is to swing really hard in the other direction. And sometimes that pendulum just goes too far and we move past the line. And unfortunately, um, that ends up affecting people's lives and the life of the church as a whole. So I think it's good that we, we do bring some correction here and bring it back into a good, solid, biblical complementarian perspective. Yeah, no, great word. Um, Sharon, thank you so much for being with us. And I know uh, with the name Dickens, you have to be related to Charles, right? I'm not, but it would be nice. I mean, from the UK and everything, man, right? Well, <laughs> hopefully your namesake there will, uh, your surname'sake will uh, um, uh, allow you to, you'll be able to write a great book on, on women's ministry. Just before you end, yeah. and because you've got a mic in front of me, one mm. of the things that I'm really passionate about is getting good resources into women's hands. Yeah. So we have spent the last 10 years um creating curriculum and uh, training sessions and we're starting to collate it so the hope for us at 20 schemes particularly what we do with women's ministry is provide other people with good solid resources so that they won't have to start 10 years back but further up the line than we had to they just have to check out our website or email me they'll find me on the website and i'll send them some stuff Awesome. So you, everybody heard that. So yeah, Sharon, just just don't tell my boss. Don't tell don't tell Mez. But uh, Sharon's <laughs> gonna help you all out. Sharon, again, thank you so much for no meeting worries. with us. Chris, as always, it's been a blast, man. Uh, great stuff, you guys. We'll we continue this theme of uh, ministry in the church next week as we look at preaching. Take care, everybody. Thanks for listening to the Confessional Collective podcast. For more information and resources, please visit professionalcollective.com and be sure to like our Facebook.